BBS SPV SPF BBW Whoa, we have to interrupt this podcast for announcement from our producer Ray Mysterio 619 Buyaka Buyaka Content is my passion. And that wraps up the public service announcement from 619 Ray Mysterio, who had to come on and tell us that content is his passion. Thank you, Ray Mysterio. I have been a rich man, and I have been a poor man, and I choose rich every fucking time. And with me today is, I'm just a sexy boy, Shawn Michaels, multiple world heavyweight champion, super kick maestro, I'm just a sexy boy, HBK. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're here. And we're joined by the five-time, 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 five-time WCW and WWE champion, also a ring announcer, Pelleruni himself. That's my best intro yet. Can you um, dig that, sucker? Look, I'm gonna be happy. <laughs> I'm gonna be happy provided Arsenal remain top of the log. Uh, when when that stops being true, I'll be sad. But until further notice, I'm happy. There we go. There we go. Today we are talking about BBW. Whoa, wrong one. Sorry, skip. SBB. We're talking about SBB. That's why. <laughs> We're talking about SBB. What's going on with SVP? We think banks are collapsing. There's low deposits. There's some withdrawals happening. Things are melting down. We're talking about bailout. We're talking about is this financial crisis GFC 2008? Where were you in 2008, Bukati? I was yeah, in grade right. 8. Um, Where were you, HPK? So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember much of that time. Wow, HBK. HBK was one of those gents carrying those boxes. I, say, I can't. I can't tell you. I can't tell you where I was. I signed an NDA. Even even I know that you were in grade. I signed nine. an NDA. I can't tell you what, where I was. We, we we got Ray Mysterio flagging us here. He was in grade three. I see you out there doing figure paintings. Grade three, Ray Mysterio. SBB, Silicon Valley Bank, a bank that's lasted the test of time up until. Yesterday, <laughs> pretty much. 16th largest bank <laughs> in the US. It's been around since 1983. It's had some big, heavy hitting clients. I think they had Cisco at some point. You know, they were the guy who there. sang Tong Song. Yeah, Tong Song, exactly. They had some heavy hitters. Let me see that. You're mm-hmm. really honest, Every time someone mentions it, you gotta you gotta bring it up. This goes outfits, man. One day I'm gonna pull. You're gonna pull out the dog. You're gonna pull out the dog. No, no, this goes outfits, not the song. This wasn't wearing a song when he was singing the song. Well, how do you know that? Maybe. Well, how how do you know this? How do you know? Wait, how how can you tell? Who told you that? How how do you know? I I actually have no response. I do not know. 
Andy, man. Okay, anyway, guys, okay, SVB, these are important things. SVB, Banks these are, are failing. Important, these are big right. things. So, SVB <laughs> in the 80s, went on the streak. Now, to just remind us, the HPK, what is the invincible streak? How many games are Beasel? 49 and 49 and 0. 49 and 0. SBB went 21 consecutive quarters of profitability in the 80s. Mm. 21 Damn. quarters. How many years is that? Book <laughs> five, five and a bit. <laughs> Why do I always get these questions? Oh. Why do I always oh. get the bad questions or the ones that can trip you up on day six? You, you, you just want to use this me for it. TikTok content. That's why. You, you want to clip this me up when I, when I get something so, wrong. HBK, Booker T. This sounds like a good bag. I mean, these guys, they some of the biggest names during .com. These guys survived the financial crisis. They fucking good bag, right? They had good clients. You know, they, at one point, this bag serves 65% of all U.S. startups. I mean, yeah, it's a good bank, good track record. Not too many alarm bells uh, until a very rapid and crazy 48 hours. Uh, it, it feels like in the States, when things go wrong, they go wrong very quickly. But uh, great track record. Didn't see too much wrong with it. Uh, one of the biggest one of the biggest corporate banks in America. It's kind of shocking what's happened, but a lot to learn from it. HBK, you 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 involved in the lending business, right? I mean, we you you look at startups, you look at private equity, you look at venture cap, you look at pre-seed, you look at companies that are pre-earnings, some of them pre-revenue. They come to you and they some say, of them pre-existence. Some of them pre-existence. Some of them just a diagram on a PowerPoint slide saying. <laughs> I need some money, right? <laughs> How, this is a business that has anchored itself playing in a space of so much uncertainty, so much risk, and they've done it successfully. How do you even get to that point? Let's talk about the success. I mean, there's a couple important points, right? You you know, when when you talk about financial institutions, the, the first word that comes to mind is risk management, diversification. So, this was a business that was built consciously flying in the face of the idea of diversification. They picked a niche, they picked these startups, these tech companies, these up-and-coming companies, and they decided that this is what they wanted to focus on. This was where they wanted to build their business. This is where they wanted to build their book. And that helped them achieve a lot of scale very quickly and achieve a, a sustained period of success because they became the experts in dealing with this type of business. They understood how to lend to these businesses. They understood how to offer them products. They understood how to uh, manage their capital and their deposits. And so they became experts at this one thing. And the problem is when that one thing fails, when startups and venture capital backed businesses in the US start to struggle, this bank has a disproportionate amount of exposure to them because they've decided to make this what they built their business around. That, that's the interesting component, right? So you've got all of these startups and they put their cash into this bank. And I mean, listen, the, the deposit numbers in thing, right? Just balloon, went through the roof post-COVID. You know, guys said, safe haven. We, we know that you're sticking our cash into US treasuries, government bonds, risk-free. 
Yeah, you hear this word a lot in the podcast. Risk-free asset. Right. What happens next? What happens when what 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 happens when you when you stick all your cash in these risk-free bonds? So there's there's an important bit of context that we have to understand uh, as we we begin to talk about these things, and that is how a bank works. So a bank, quite simply, takes your money as deposits, or it borrows money from other people. It issues bonds, and then it goes out and it lends that money. And exactly what you said, Rick, is true. It go that money that you give it, it's deposits. It goes and puts this in liquid investments. So investments that it can access quickly. So that's either cash in in a bank account. It's either a bond or it's a note, but it's something that is risk-free in inverted commas and low risk. And here's the kicker for banks. A bank does not need to match its loans to its deposits one to one. So there are regulations that basically allow a bank to lend out more money than it has in deposits and savings. And those are called the capital rules. Uh, and it's dictated by a, a set of regulations called the Basel re- re- regulations. And so as a, as a bank, Silicon Valley Bank did not need to have money behind every loan it put out. And so what then becomes very important is to make sure that the capital that it is keeping, that those deposits go to something very safe and very secure because they need to cover, in many cases, seven times the amount of loans versus the value of the deposit. So what if I told you, HBK Shawn Michaels, that SPB had $120 billion in security and they did not hedge the interest rate exposure. Nothing. Yeah, so this is a tough one, right? Because in you look at this and you say, guys, you have that much exposure. Why didn't you hedge? And, and for, for listeners, what hedging means is you basically use financial instruments, you use derivatives to eliminate the risk of something happening. And in this case, the risk that SV, that, uh, uh, not SV, that Silicon Valley Bank needed to manage was the risk that the interest rate would go up. And because the interest rate went up and all of their securities were basically fixed rate bonds, the value of those bonds would go down. And so you look at this and say, guys, why didn't you manage this risk better? Why didn't you hedge it? But the reality is to hedge that much exposure, probably very expensive, actually. But you would want to hedge some of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and, yeah. and you, you, you're definitely not going to hedge your entire book, but you're going to hedge some of this. You're going to hedge some of this in, in a rising yield environment. Things are getting out of control, right? I, I mean, from a risk management perspective, You've got Ray Mysterio shouting the word risk. You've got all of this exposure out in the market. You have this bonds. But I think what it really comes down to here, HBK Booker T, is if you hold these bonds to maturity, what that means is if you had borrowed, if, if you had bought government paper and you're holding this bond and you're holding it to the end, it doesn't matter what happens with yields. It doesn't matter if the value of the bonds go up or down. Because you're holding it to the end, right? And then you redeem it to the end and you roll it over. What happens when people come to you and they say, hey, Oaks, you bought a 30-year bond or a 20-year bond 
I want my money now. Let's talk about the mismatch of assets and liabilities and words like duration and words like liquidity. What happens when you put your cash in the bank? The bank puts that money into a little vault and it can only really get it out after 30 years or 50 years, except you want your money tomorrow. Yeah. So let's, let's unpack this. And there's a whole lot of very, uh, very fancy big words that actually just mean very simple things. Now, let's start off with a bond. How does a bond work? A bond is basically a loan to the government in many cases. So the government is borrowing money. And the government says when it borrows money, I am paying you X amount in absolute terms. I am paying you $100 as the interest on this. Not 10%. I'm paying you $100 for this $1,000 loan. And it says, come hell or high water, you will get your $100. And by the end, you'll get your $1,000 back that you recoup. So that's, that's the instrument. Now, what happens is when this is issued, and it, let's say it's issued at par value, which is, what, which is fair value, when it is issued, that $100 over the $1,000, which is how much you, you are lending, is a 10% interest rate. And if the interest rate in, in the market is 10%, and you are getting 10% on that bond, everything is cool, right? No worries. Your $100 is fine. Now, what happens when the interest rate goes up? When the interest rate goes up, suddenly you should be getting more from the market for that loan because loans require a higher rate of return, but the government has, just, has committed to only paying you $100. So in actual fact, your, your interest is lower and the, and because that $100 is less valuable. And the only way that the bond can compensate for that is to reduce in value. So if it needed to give you a 15% return on that $100, then what it needs to do is it needs to lower the value that it trades at so that you get back to that return. Yeah. Now, that, that lowering and increasing in value is what you call duration. And this is what screwed Silicon Valley Bank because interest rates went up in the US. And, that, and because interest rates, rates went up and Silicon Valley Bank had a whole lot of fixed rate bonds from the government, the value of those bonds decreased in value. Now, because they went and lent out money and, they, and they've lent out seven times as much in loans as they have in deposits, when the amount of the deposit decreases in value because those loans are less valuable, suddenly that seven times becomes eight times, becomes nine times, it becomes 10 times, and now you're in a situation where actually you've got a shitload of loans out there and you don't have a lot of money in case somebody wants their money back or somebody defaults. But let's rewild this, right? You put, let's talk about a bank, just a, a, an everyday bank. You put your cash into the bank. The bank takes your cash and lends it out, right? Lends it out. There's some folks that default, like Ray Mysterio. You write it off. But the bank charges you an interest rate and eventually you make a net interest margin. How do banks make money? They take your money and they lend it to other people. They take the money that other people pay them and they pay it back to you. Or they let you have it back. So this is why your deposit rate is always so much lower than the borrowing or the lending. Right? Because they'll give you five and a half, six percent. They'll lend it to Ray Mysterio at 
In right. Bukachi doesn't qualify for loans, so we can't use him as an example. Bukachi does even qualify for loans. But but here's what's interesting. When you deposit that cash, the bank, according to this capital adequacy ratios and all of this bad stuff, they've got to keep some of that money back, right? For safety. They keep it in cash, they keep it in bonds, they, they invest some in bonds, they do they, they lend some of it out. Except this is where it got really sticky with SBB. Silicon Valley Bank. Their investment portfolio as a percentage of total assets was 57%. That means 50%, 57% of the total assets were investments. To give you an indication of how this stacks up, the average US bank only invests 24% of its total assets. Right? Now, of that 57%, 78% percent was in mortgage-backed security. Does that ring a bell anyone? <laughs> we live in an era of fraud in America. Not just in banking, but in government, education, religion, food, even baseball. What bothers me isn't that fraud is not nice or that fraud is mean. It's that for 15,000 years, fraud and short-sighted thinking have never, ever worked. Not once. Jesus, we're 37. We're 37. We'll get it's caught. Like Things go south. Plumbing, it's fucking plumbing. When the hell did we forget all that? Almost, almost 80% of Silicon Valley bank assets were in mortgage-backed securities. HBK. Does it sound like spot was better? Yeah, look, and so it's it's a yes and a no, right? Because and you you look at it now and you say, guys, that is fugazi, that is nonsense, right? But at the same time, you have to remember that these mortgage-backed securities are investment grade, as you would define investment grade, and so all the regulators, all the all the licensing authorities, everybody who safeguards this industry, they were all okay with this, right? They they were they were like sharp. It's fine. This is an appropriate place to put your bank. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank were never in contravention of any of the regulation that that you know evaluates this industry. Now that's all fine and good until something like what happened recently happened, and. They, they suddenly have a big decrease in value of their assets because these assets decline in value. And at the same time, they also had pressure on their deposits because a lot of the, the big companies that had big deposits with them, the, the big startups, they were actually struggling financially. So they couldn't afford to have massive cash balances in the bank they were actually using their cash to pay salaries, to keep their businesses afloat. Those that had overdrafts were drawing on overdrafts. And now, and now you're in a situation where your asset, your capital is going down in value, but your liability is going up in value. And that's when the crunch happened. So what's interesting, I mean, HBK, you mentioned regulatory scrutiny. But the one area that the bank got away with is... They remained with their assets under $250 billion, which is the threshold when it comes to increased scrutiny. And they 
Jay Styles, the dev, deliberately made sure that they were 20, 30 billion under so that they didn't have to comply with the increased, uh, you know, capital adequacy scrutiny that other bigger banks would. So they made sure, listen, we're going to stay a smaller bank and no one is going to come in and tell us, hey guys, what's going on? Why is your investment book so heavily concentrated in single assets? Why don't you have interest rate swaps in place? Why don't you have enough cash on book? Why don't you have enough capital adequacy? What happens if there's a run on the bank? So we all often hear the phrase too big to fail. But there is a world where too small is likely to fail. Yeah, I mean, the, they were not too big to fail. They were too small to care. And that's a, it's a legacy of, uh, in many cases, the, 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 the regulation change that came a few years after the global financial crisis. I mean, this was a loophole that was created by the Trump administration. Because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet, no puppet. It's clear you won't admit no, you're that the, the Russian... Um, to support small business by allowing banks, to, smaller banks to operate under less regulation. And so uh, it eventually, you know, when, when you offer these kind of loopholes in, in, the, in, the regula- in the regulatory framework, it's great when it works because now, you know, startups can get funding easier. They can get cheaper funding because they, the bank that they go to is more streamlined. But when it goes to shit, it goes to shit. And it went to shit. And we talk about going to shit. This went to the depths of hell. In one day, depositors, bank clients, tried to withdraw $40 billion. That's a quarter of their that's time. About as much, that's about as much as Booker T spent in Cape Town. $40 billion, right? So Booker T, you run out of cash. And... The first thing you do is you say, you listen, I want to plug the hole. I want to sell some shares. This is, I mean, there's a listed company. There's some stock. You go out and you tell the market, I am a bank. I've run out of money. I need to raise money. I am selling shares. What happens to the stock price? It plummets. It plummets. I think, I think with, with uh, SVB, it's so many different factors. You know, uh, HPK already touched on them. But... You know, it started off with they had these bonds. They sold them for a loss for the reasons that we've already explained. Uh, and that was to cover all these withdrawal requests that were coming through. Now, it's important to note that these withdrawals that we're speaking about here, they haven't come. It's, it's not uh, like an FTX situation up until you know, last Thursday, where a lot of people were withdrawing cash because startups are also struggling with these interest rate hikes. They can't get the levels of funding that they require, so they're relying on their cash balances to get them through. So these withdrawal requests have been coming through. And with SVB, what they had was they had all these uh, unrealized losses that came from the bonds that they've invested in because you know they bought the bonds, they were priced fairly, but now, because of the interest rate hikes, they were worth less, but it's unrealized. You haven't sold yet. You haven't locked in the position. So it's a loss, but it's only on paper. But to match with all these withdrawals, they had to start selling. So now you're realizing the losses. When you come up with news that you're out of money and then you have to sell stocks in order to keep up with these withdrawal requests, that's when the stock price plummeted. And that set off this 
insane 48 hours that started off on uh, Wednesday, I think it was 9 March, and uh, wrapped up on Friday when they eventually got taken over. Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about what happened, right? They go out and say, guys, we need to sell shares. The share price plummeted, right? Nobody wants to buy the shares. Then, over the weekend, the news comes out, actually, we might need to sell the bank. So they, they call everybody. In one yeah. day, in one day, they want you to sell the bank in one fucking day. On Saturday. What's, what's, the most, what's, what's the most outrageous staffing request you've ever gotten? Because I think we need to sell a bank in one day. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. I've been a staffer on an MLA desk. Staffing guys are corporate. <laughs> And I have never staffed a guy on the sell side <laughs> with a 24-hour turnaround. <laughs> Guys, imagine you're sitting there and Rick, Rick, Rick sends some wild staffing requests at wild hours sometimes. <laughs> and even that one is too far for my man. Like, just imagine that you're sitting there in the cinema watching Creed 3 at Prestige with your, with your feet up. <laughs> you look at your Apple Watch and you see a message. Come to the office. We need to sell a bank. My in man, how, what do you do? <laughs> in one day. In one day. Guys, it's my man, you are there. It's when you You're at the point now. You're halfway through the movie. Creed is crying. He's sad. And you have to leave right there at that moment and go to the desk to go and sell a bank. By the way, Creed is, Creed is a good movie. I still think in terms of trade, training sequences, Creed 2, that sequence where he was training, that, that was the best. It was better than 3. Three pulls of fucking little plane and shit now. That Eastern block, but... Uh, Drago. Nah, Drago. Drago's unreal in Creed 2. That man Drago. is a mountain. Yo, that, that guy is just muscle. There's nothing else on his body. It's just blocks of muscle on top of each other. I, I look at myself and I'm like, I sometimes I think, wow, Rick Drago play. And, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough place to be. If he dies, he dies. Listen, let me read. Let me read to you the Bloomberg note uh, that came out right on Sunday, twelfth March, eleven fifty four a.m. It says the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp kicked off an auction process late Saturday night for Silicon Valley Bank with final bids due <laughs> by Sunday afternoon. So, guys, what happened here? As you can imagine, they couldn't find a buyer, right? So there was, there was no buyer. And so the only thing, the natural next step was for effectively the government to take the bank, the Federal Deposit Insurance Company to take the bank. And that is what they did. So they announced late on Sunday that they were effectively taking over the bank. And as a result of taking over the bank, they were guaranteeing everyone's deposits. So, uh, and, and how they were, one of the ways they were doing that was, you know, all these, these bonds we keep talking about that decreased in value. They went to Silicon Valley Bank and they told them, we are taking over the bank. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to allow you to sell back the bonds to us at the price you bought them for, at the par value. You bought this thing for $1,000. This thing could be worth, this thing is worth 700 now. Forget about it. We'll buy it back at $1,000. It's fine, but we're taking the whole shop. 
let's go into what this means for people who had a lot invested in this because there are a lot of companies that had a lot of money invested into this operation now imagine you're the financial manager of one of these companies and some of them had a substantial amount of their cash reserves within sbb right so deposited deposited right you get told yeah, yeah they've, they've deposited a lot a, a substantial amount of their cash reserves in svb wednesday you hear rumors that SVB has issues. Thursday, you process your withdrawal request. You find out they don't have the money to pay for it. Friday, you're coming to terms with the fact that you have 30% of your available reserves deposited in a bank that doesn't that may not even be able to help you. You start looking for new jobs on Saturday. <laughs> and Sunday, you get told, don't worry about it. Everything is going to be returned in any case. As... The wild ride that you've gone over in a five-day period, that's 10 years of your life gone for sure. Look, if you're a depositor, you get your cash back, right? But if you're an yeah. investor, if you're a shareholder in the bank, if you're that's a bondholder in the bank, if you bought stock in the bank, I actually looked at my phone just before we uh, we started the, the shoot and I looked to put in some huge short positions on this bank because this shit is going and it's going down. It's going all the way down, boy. It's it's not it's it's gonna. Remember how Nancy Pelosi did. <laughs> it's I'm being a Nancy fucking Pelosi. Listen, you, if you're a shareholder, <laughs> it is done because this is not a bailout. And how's, how's no? It's this a takeout. How's this? Let's talk about why this is a lot of bailout and why it's not costing taxpayer money. Because in a bailout. At the end of the day, when, you lo- when, when, when a bank goes bust, somebody has to lose, right? In, in 2008, it was the taxpayer paying 95 cents on the dollar to a boys at Goldman Sachs. Now, taxpayers are not paying for this, so who the fuck is paying for this? So, it's not a bailout because the government is taking the bank. They are taking all of it. And so, all the equity in the business is being taken for no consideration. And so to put this in context, you know, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank also had a UK arm that was not part of what the US government did, obviously. And the UK needed to come to a solution. And their solution, and they were able to find a buyer and their buyer was HSBC. And HSBC effectively took over this bank for one pound, a bank that had an equity value of 1.2 billion pounds HSBC took it for one pound. That is how much, how, that's the magnitude of the loss that the equity holders took. They basically said to these guys, this bank needs to operate. So we're going to stand behind all of these deposits, all of these liabilities, but in exchange, you just hand it over. And that's why it's not taking any money from taxpayers because really it's the shareholders who are taking the hit here. So you could have taken that money that you put into SB Bank and just put it on a 40 game accumulator. You would have had the same result. You you would have ended up. Oh, uh, you would have won the 40, 40 game accumulator. But, you know, but, you, you, if you cook, hey, listen. You can always be better. If you listen to this, <laughs> take that rent money and go for it. <laughs> believe you in yourself. Hustle. You believe in yourself. Tell your landlord to increase your rent. <laughs> So here's here's something interesting about this bank. The CEO sold 
billion dollars in shares days before the bank went under. And the Friday, as in three days ago, four days ago, all the employees received bonuses. This is the part that I don't quite get, right? That's trading with material non-public information. It is. That's 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 Nancy Pelosi. You, you, you're pulling a Nancy Pelosi. Is there any recourse to the equity holders for that? Because that's just it. Just feels like it's a crazy course of action to take. Here's the thing: a lot of these trades are booked well in advance. Right? I mean, I I, I look after a listed company, and I can't. I can't take a piss without putting out a sales announcement or a statement. Like, <laughs> you can't, right? You gotta, you gotta go out and say, "I'm selling X amount of shares at this price in this future time on this fucking day," and whatever. Right? Yeah, that's just how it is. Um, if if your side chick and your or your wife or both or you know whoever it is wants to trade, you still gotta put out an announcement. So. Here's the thing, all of this is in advance, but it, it is very fortuitous and very coincidental. Also, if you look at the fact that all of the insiders decided to sell around this time, over $5 million, you know, it starts to look like, okay, look, you paid yourself out. You saw this happen with Styloff as well. But the main point here, guys, is whether you saw it with airlines, whether you saw it with banks in 2008, whether you see it now with Silicon Valley Bank. It's socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor, right? When things go to shit, you go out to the government and say, please help. Fed, please help. Mr. President, please help. But where the fuck were you when you were ripping people's faces off trying to make as much profit as possible, right? Yeah, and, and I think the, you know, the subtext to why there is outrage and anger about this is because this was the same bank that financed a lot of the crypto bros. So those guys, when they were soaring and they were blowing all kinds of cash and they had these massive deposits in this bank, nobody batted an eyelid. You know, when these guys were facilitating illicit trades or acting recklessly, nobody cared. Now, this is a classic error. In basketball, it's called the hot hand fallacy. A player makes a bunch of shots in a row. People are sure they're going to make the next one. People think whatever's happening now is going to continue to happen into the future. But now, when the bank is about to go bust, that's when 200 CEOs write a letter to the government saying, please help. But please, sir, may I have some help? May I ask the same favor yeah, from before? I, I want to get asking for your support. And listen, guys, you want to play with the big boys. You want to bamba. You want to bamba. You want to bamba. You can't go back to the casino, guys, the Betway, and say, fuck, I put down 10K, can I have my money back? Sorry, I was hacked. Guys. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't think too well to that. At the end of the day, you got to be responsible. And, you know, you lose money, you lose money. And, and you've got Ray Mysterio saying as a last thing, you, what does it mean for the world of startups moving forward? Here's the thing, guys, what can you do? Number one, numero uno, don't stick all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> I.e. Roku, who had 25% Do of not, the available guys, reserves. You gotta have, you know what? 
I'm not saying have multiple phone numbers and multiple WhatsApp accounts and multiple Instagram handles, but fuck's sake, at least have multiple bank accounts. At least try and diversify different currencies. At least try and have cash in different stocks, in different bonds, in different instruments. Stop putting all your cash in one currency, into one geography, into one bank account, and having, I was going to say, one romantic partner. I mean, that's option, right? But diversify. That's the important lesson here. Also, check how much you insured for in your deposits. Risk-free does not mean free from losing money. Doesn't mean a zero risk of losing money. We, that deserves its own podcast. What else do you want to add? This finance lecture is right now. They must come. You. you know where to find me. This is why you're a lecturer. And I'm on the podcast. The the applied investments, the applied investments I'd, boys are are, are, are screaming. I'd, I'd rather be <laughs> wrong and rich than right and poor. HBK, what do you have to say? What's the lessons from this takeaway? Yeah. I think I think there's a few lessons. The the one that that stands out for me is regulators and governments are actually starting to develop quite a bit of experience with dealing with these events because the you know, the first time it happened when you had a global financial crisis that felt like it was an inconceivable thing and then it happened. Um, you know, and now you have banks failing again. In South Africa, we had a bank that failed, African. Uh, and so what is starting to happen is that we are globally, there's starting to be a playbook on how to deal with these things. And that playbook is increasingly being more and more punitive to equity holders. So you're very correct, Rick, by saying risk-free does not mean free of risk. But the implication of how these things are starting to be dealt with is that those guys who have the risky investment are just getting absolutely cleaned out. You know, the, so where while it's also important for you to think about your risk-free investments, also think about the implication of your risky investments when there is a black swan event like this. Because if you own shares in SV Bank, you now own nothing. Zilch, zero, because they took it all. Booker T, you're a big fan of BBS. Yeah, you're... BBW. I am. I am. I am. All of the the above, actually. Option C. Um, I, I, I think it's great to see that regulators are protecting the end consumer because it, it's always been the end consumer that gets shafted in these things and I and it's understandable as to why people are starting to lose faith in the financial systems um, and the people who are who are supposed to be governing those or regulating those financial systems uh, but yeah I think it's just another reminder that banks do need to do regular risk management manage exposures and that needs to all be, uh, it needs to be documented and, and sent out to people. And people need to look at what their banks are doing to protect their money. It's usually something they say, click here if you've read to see what's happening with your deposit. People don't read, they click and they continue. That's when these things happen. Um, so it's just another reminder. And we keep getting these reminders, unfortunately. Ray Mysterio is asking me, are we going to see the dominoes fall? And here's the thing. Markets are very unpredictable, unstable beasts. If you looked at the yield curve in the last half an hour, you would have seen some wild things happening. Markets 
changing their views on pricing in height. There's some people now pricing in cuts. No Who would have thought you would have got rates cuts on the cards a week ago? So, you know, the most important thing here, guys, is will, will these type of events happen? Where there's chaos, there's also opportunity. So look very closely at stocks that are not very related, that are far away from the noise, that have taken a hammering purely because everyone's risk off, everyone's selling off on financial institutions, everyone's ultra pessimistic and very bearish. It's worth looking at, right? Maybe it's oversold. And you know, it's definitely difficult to call the bottom on stuff. But if there was a juicy stock that you had on your playbook and your shortlist for a long, long time, particularly if it was a bank or if it was a financial institution with high quality, solid grade assets, and it's looking just a little bit cheaper now thanks to global macro, might be worth bumping up to the top of your playlist. And your watch list. I can already see our email inbox. People killing us for, for recommending bank stocks. I can already well, let's see. <laughs> we do not provide financial advice, Look, by the way. That's just a disclaimer. If we you want a one night stand and you like Rick Flair, Rick Flair will be looking at certain. Rick Flair always looks at distressed assets, no man. Rick Flair has made some bank on those Turkish <laughs> stocks coming out of the out of the uh, recovery phase. But again, just be careful out there. Will you doubt sticking cash? That's it for bank bros. Let us know what you want us to chat about next. We're getting deep in the technical convos. HBK, Shawn Michaels, Booker T. We're awesome.